John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. God bless you guys. It's great to be with you today. As we open the word of God, I, I'm excited uh, that I think we've already heard the essence of my message through the worship songs that Jared picked and Rachel's prophetic word, the prophetic words that came, I heard, I'm going to make all things new. Behold, I'm doing something new. And I love the passage where it says, uh, do you not perceive it? In other words, you're, you're not going to miss it. What I'm about to do, you're not going to miss it. It's going to be obvious. And the invitation I want to provide for you today is, is an invitation to step into what God is doing in this season. It's, if I can phrase it this way, it's not about duty. It's an invitation to devotion. It's not about service. It's an invitation to intimacy with God. That's the call for this hour. God's doing something new, but it won't come uh, through our activity alone. We will not be able to generate or produce the environment that is necessary to bring about what God wants to do. We, we lean into our relationship with Jesus. That's the point. In this passage, uh, Peter and the four other disciples, five of them, decide to go fishing. I think Peter gets a bad rap. How many of you have heard messages on this? Peter, you know, he abandoned ship and he goes off and goes fishing again. Well, he's not a lot unlike most of us, quite candidly. Have you not had times in your life where, you know, you, things have not gone as you expected? Or maybe your expectations were unrealized. And that's what we see in this passage. See, the disciples had this expectation that that the Messiah, Jesus, was going to come and overthrow the Romans and this great demonstration of power and set up his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. And I think kind of the unspoken, maybe not so unspoken expectation is they were going to rule with him. Matter of fact, John and and Andrew's mom comes and says, can one of us set on one of my boys on the right hand of you and the other on the left hand? And Jesus said, no, that's not the way this works. 
So they had an expectation that Jesus was going to do things a certain way. Have you ever had an expectation? Have you ever prayed and expected Jesus to do it your way? You see, what I've discovered is that, that God doesn't necessarily uh, feel obligated to do what I expect him to do. Uh, have, and he never calls and asks me for my opinion. I've also noticed that. You see, I have some great opinions of how things should go. And by the chuckles I hear, I think you do as well. But Jesus doesn't do that. He has his own way of doing things. And in this, this concept, he dashes the expectations of the disciples by saying, no, boys, it's not like that, John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. And they're going, what? We don't get it, Jesus. Uh, we don't understand. And then to make it even worse, uh, just a few days after he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he surrenders to bogus charges uh, and, and to an to a unjust mock trial to brutal treatment and crucifixion. And they're going, what? Like, what is, and they're confused. This is not how it was supposed to shake down. He, the Messiah was going to come with this glorious burst of power, overthrow the Romans, angels come, and man, man, it's going to be great. They didn't see the pathway through suffering. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And they're going, what? And then the crazy thing about his surrender to all this pain and suffering is that he did it without a fight. He didn't put up a fight. I love the story where they're in the, the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the arrest is happening and Peter forever, I'm going to protect you, Jesus. You know the story. He grabs the sword, takes it out of the sheath. They had one sword among all his disciples. They're going to overthrow the Romans with one sword. Yeah, it's really good. How's that working out for you? Peter takes the sword. You know the story. He makes a much better fisherman than swordsman. He takes a whack in his defense of Jesus and cuts off a guy's ear. I mean, this is craziness. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, to put the sword away. The last recorded miracle before Jesus' death and, and, and crucifixion and resurrection was he had to fix Peter's messes. He took the guy's ear and put it back on and healed it. Uh, I love the fact that Jesus steps into those times, even when we have expectations that are unrealistic. And he somehow fixes it for us. He comes and makes sense out of our lack of sense and our lack of clarity. And that's what I see in this passage and then Jesus died, was buried, and all their dreams and cultural expectations about religious re reformation seemingly died with Jesus. And they find themselves in this now what situation. And they find themselves in Jerusalem with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. When things don't go as we expect, we tend to find ourselves in lockdown as well, don't we? we the temptation is to silo, to isolate with people that we trust. You know, our, we huddle with our four and no more, people that we know and we trust and we like, and we find comfort in our common experience. And the temptation is to lock down our hearts and our emotions. Because frankly, I just can't handle any more unwelcomed surprises. Been there? I've been there more than once in my life. And we're there, we're locked down, and we're praying, and we're waiting, and it seems like a day is an eternity, and we're praying that God shows up really soon. And he does, by the way. Scripture says Jesus had appeared to them twice before this passage in John chapter 21. But let me just kind of jump ahead and simply say this season has been a challenging season for the church in North America, probably around the world, would you? Challenging season for many of us. And this season has been one where there's been more questions than answers. Would you agree? And we find ourselves in these times saying, what is God saying? What should we do? What is my part? Or maybe even more specifically, do I even have a part to play? We begin to question our value, our purpose, 
And it's at this point in time that a lot of us do what Peter did, poor Peter, who takes a bad rap in this passage. We decide to step back into what we know best. Our decision is really twofold. Either we're going to toss in the towel, we're going to toss in the net. We're either going to step back to what we know and what we feel comfortable doing, or we're going to lean into the new thing that God has. Behold, I do something new. Will you not be aware of it? And the fact is that God's doing something new, and that's the invitation. It's not about us. This is not a message where I'm trying to get you to psych up your enthusiasm for the future. It's not what I'm going. Actually, I'm going to try to put a death to duty today and invite you into devotion. It's about Jesus. He's the one that's doing something new, and he wants your heart. That's what he's after. He wants your heart. He wants mine. Because in those times of prolonged difficulty or stress, the temptation is for us to revert back to what we know, what we've done before, what works. And for Peter, it was, I'm going out to fish. I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind. Scripture doesn't tell us. Was he done? Was it over? Was he tossing in the towel? I don't know. Scripture doesn't make this clear. But I think the context begs perhaps to give us a, a reason to contemplate that maybe he was wondering if this was maybe too much. Maybe that was a good three years, but maybe something new is, is happening. And we see this in the thought that Jerusalem felt unsafe. They were under lockdown. They were, they were hiding from the Jews. And Galilee was home. It was familiar to them. So they're going back fishing in Galilee, back to what they know, back to what they do. And very often when the future feels uncertain, we often, and we don't know what to do, we often go back to what we have done previously. And for him it was, you know, the questions were, what can I do? What do I do well? What is best for my family? How can I earn an income for my tribe? How can I do this? But it's interesting that God has a remarkable way of capturing our attention. Peter, the commercial fisherman, <laughs> I, I, I love the phrase, verse 3, and they fished all night and caught nothing. They fished all night and caught nothing. Uh, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe in the morning after fishing all night, they might have thought that maybe wasn't a very good idea. You know, this going back to the old stuff, that's not working out so great for me. About three decades ago, there was a young pastor that uh, – got to the point of total discouragement. He wasn't seeing the fruits in the ministry. and was really wondering whether he had what it took to even be a pastor. That weary leader um, needed a really long break, perhaps, and he found himself looking at the help-wanted ads in the Fresno Bee. And his wife, her name was Becky, my wife, leaned over my shoulder, put her hand on my shoulder, and said, sweetheart, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm looking to see if there's something that I can do that I would be better at doing. Long silence. And she says, sweetheart, you know that you'll never be satisfied doing anything else except what God's called you to do. Words of wisdom for this guy who was considering going back to fishing. That was about 30 years ago, actually. About 30 years ago this year. I'm so glad I didn't go back fishing. I was an EMT. I could have gone back to work. I was looking for jobs in that field. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it's been a good run. I've been a missionary. I've served Jesus. I've been in this church now for like three years. Maybe it's time for me to, to go back to something that I know. And, you know, I'll, I'll serve the church. But that was duty, not devotion. And this guy was tired. And my wife's word of wisdom just penetrated right to the core of my being. And I thought, you know, and what it revealed in the weary heart of this man was his need to fall in love with Jesus again. 
Somehow duty had replaced devotion. Somehow my service had taken the place of the master. And, and I, I didn't even know how that happened specifically. But in this passage, I love the fact that Jesus shows up as he does in the middle of our, as he did in my storyline as well. And Jesus is on the shore. The disciples are out there about 100 yards from shore, and they're fishing, and they've caught nothing. And he calls out. He does not say, listen, he does not say, hey, did you catch anything, boys? Because every fisherman, you know, that, that moment when a boat comes up beside your boat, and they said, did you catch anything? You see, the, the way in which we maintain and kind of guard our ego is, well, we've had some good bites. We had good bites. You know, we, we, we find a way to redirect it so that we don't actually say, man, we caught zilch, man. This has been a tough night. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he went right to the gut. He went right to the core. And he says, didn't catch anything, did you? Here's the thing that we need to understand. They were 100 yards from shore, the length of a football field. He wasn't saying, hey, Jared, hey, Ryan, you guys catch anything? 100 yards echoing across the water. He shouts, didn't catch anything, did you guys? It's called the shout of shame. <laughs> I don't think he was trying to embarrass them. But here's the deal. We can get involved in a lot of activity, have very little to show for our efforts. And Jesus simply says, if you follow me, it's different. You know how the storyline goes. In a minute, we'll get to the point of tossing in your nets. I have bad news and good news for you. Bad news is, is this, that it doesn't tend to go well for us if we go back to what was comfortable. It doesn't go well. You can put a lot of activity into a whole lot of nothing as far as results. The good news is, the future always looks brighter when Jesus shows up on the shore, when he's there for us, and he, he calls out over the water. He doesn't just shame us. No fish. He says, here's what I want you to do. Toss your net on the right side of the boat. Let me pause in the storyline here and just communicate that what's really quite interesting in this is that I have the feeling that they might have said, hmm, this sounds familiar. The first time that Jesus called Peter, and he said, follow me. Peter and his, and his, his friends, his co-workers, his partners were on the shore in the morning. They were mending their nets. Jesus comes with the crowd. He's preaching to the crowd. They're pressing him. He says to Peter, can I borrow your boat? He gets in the boat. They push out a bit from shore. Jesus uses a floating pulpit platform to preach to the crowds, after which, after which he comes out and says, Peter, go out and, and take your boat out and, and throw it on the other side. He goes, it's almost like Peter says, Jesus, I just need to tell you something here. You're a great preacher, but I'm the commercial fisherman. This is not the right time to go out. And, Jesus, and Peter kind of protests, Lord, but, well, I don't know exactly, but in my imagination, I'm thinking Peter saying, okay, okay, Jesus, we'll, 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 we'll humor you, okay? We'll go do it one more time. They go out. I don't know. This is Steve's rendition. If it's not yours, then sorry to inflict you with my imagination here. They go out, huge catch. Peter comes in. He falls at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, no, you're not. He said, follow me. Follow me. From now on, you won't be catching fish. You'll be fishing for men. I think that maybe this moment where Jesus says, toss your net on the other side, reminds Peter of his original calling. Jesus has this way of replicating things, reminding us of things he said to us before and calling us back into this narrative, back into the story when we want to take the pen in our own hand and rewrite the narrative of our life. Jesus says, I have a really big eraser. Let me undo some of the things that you're thinking about. And let me rewrite 
Let me tell you what I have in my mind. See, to these confused, worried, discouraged disciples, Jesus comes, he meets them, and he meets us in our discouragement. And another miraculous catch occurs. 153 large fish, they towed the, the net to shore, and the net didn't break. What a mystery. That was a, that was a miracle in, his, in and of itself that with this huge catch of fish, it didn't break. And Peter, the commercial fisherman, recognizing the miracle of this catch, does what every captain of every fishing boat does. He starts to dictate orders to the other deckhands and tells them what to do. He secures the net. He begins to think the profits and how much money they're going to make when they get to shore and divide the profits. No, because Jesus called to him, reminded him he wasn't called to catch fish. Peter did what every commercial fisherman would not do. He abandoned ship. He leaves the guys on their own. He forgets the catch. He swims to shore and falls at the feet of Jesus. We don't know what Jesus might have said to Peter or Peter might have said to Jesus. The text doesn't tell us, but what we do know is that these five disciples had a great catch, but Jesus was not angling for fish. He was angling for men. He was trying to recapture the hearts of these men, invite them back into a love relationship with him. Notice the compassionate heart of God in this storyline. There was no scolding lecture. There was no, I told you to stay in Jerusalem. Like, what are you doing here, boys? No lecture. This was not a teachable moment. There wasn't seven ways to persevere. This was just a moment of love and care because Jesus understands difficult seasons. He understands discouraged hearts. He came to his disciples. His display, his love, his care was visible to everyone. He cares for you. Here's the point. He cares for you, not just for what you do. He cares for you, not just what you do. Praise God for his compassionate care and healing. A little side note here to all the, all the gals. This is a, this is a marriage uh, moment. It's never a good idea to have a, a serious discussion with your man when he's hungry. It just doesn't go well. It just does not go well. So what Jesus does to these hungry, tired, weary disciples, he feeds them first, and then he launches into this discourse. That was free of charge, you know. I just saved you about 200 bucks in a marriage counseling fee. Let me read a couple of verses. Verse 15, and when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had said the, the third time, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth that when you were younger, you dressed yourself what were you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me, follow me. Now, it's interesting that this passage, verse 15, starts with, do you love me more than these? And I have this, this imagination there, the, those five disciples around the campfire with Jesus, and, and Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these guys? You see, there was a moment in John chapter 13 where Jesus announces to his disciples, I'm about to go away, and where I'm going, you can't come with me. And Peter's response was, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. To which Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
See, here's the principle I want to share in this, is that willpower, bravado, giftedness eventually will not be enough. I, I had those moments when I've gone to men's retreats or gone to camps where there's an altar call. Jesus, I'm at youth camps. They're fantastic. I love them. But there comes a point in time where my willpower gives way to the challenges of the moment. Have you been there? I, honestly, folks, how many times do you feel like Peter? Like, I, Lord, I, I, I'll do it. And then Jesus, but I, I, I know you. You see, Peter's confident bravado. Paint the picture for this really quickly. There, this is a, this is a more uh, kind of memorialized uh, in a church. It's called uh, the Church of Saint Peter Galicantu in Jerusalem. It's a it's a church that was built on the site of of that high priest uh, courtyard where Peter uh, denied Jesus. Where that little servant girl came and says, "You're one of his disciples. You speak like a Galilean." He says, "I'm not one of them." Someone else says, "Yes, you are." He says, "No, I'm not." But the third time they. The guy says, yes, you're one of his disciples. Peter starts to swear. He's cussing. He's trying to prove, no, I couldn't be one of Jesus. Look at my behavior. Have you ever stepped back into things when you're just so angry? It's like, just leave me alone. And this is a picture you see, but it's interesting that in the courtyard of this church, there, there, are, there are a series of bronze statues. One of the little servant girls saying, you're the guy, pointing at Peter. And Peter's like, in this, this demonstrative way. I'm not the guy. And standing over Peter's shoulder is this, this large bronze statue of this gargantuan Roman soldier in full military gear with his sword drawn. And just above Peter in a tree is a bronze rooster with his mouth open crowing. So I have one request of all of you. If you ever have the inclination or the desire to, to remember me after I'm gone to heaven, and you want to build some statues for me, pick a better moment than the moment of my greatest failure. Do not memorialize my failure. Can you imagine? I'm thinking, why would they pick this moment in Peter's life? Hey, it's interesting <laughs> when you see the story that, that Peter responds to Jesus. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then he says, do you love me? Because here's the, here's the key thing, more than anything else. What Jesus wants to know is whether we're willing to simply say, I love you. I love you, Lord. Because the truth is that service from, from a position of love is all Jesus ever requires of us. This is a rich passage. I'm not going to unpack it by any means. But we know there were three denials in that day in the courtyard of the high priest. There are three questions. Do you love me? There are different Greek words used for love here. And uh, Bible scholars disagree on whether those were simply a deliberate choice of Jesus or whether it was poetic license. But what we do know is Jesus says to Peter, do you love me with a self-sacrificing God kind of love? And Peter's response is, I love you like a friend. Remembering his failure. I'll do anything. I'll lay down my life for you. And that didn't work out so well for Peter. and doesn't work out so well for us. Jesus is not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your devotion. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. And we see Jesus angling for Peter's heart when he says, Peter, do you love me? He did not say, Peter, will you serve me? He didn't say, will you serve me? He says, will you love me? And he says, will you feed my sheep? Will you care for my lambs? Will you feed my lambs? In essence, Jesus is saying to Peter and maybe even to all of us, I have a new assignment for you. Will you accept it? Peter, I need you. And to each of us, the Lord says, I need you. The church needs you. Tulare needs you. Tulare County needs you. This world needs you in this season of time. But it's not so much about 
about your ability to service. What, what the world needs is your love for Jesus that is bigger and greater. Can you hear me okay? Okay. What you need, what Jesus wants from us is this position of our heart that runs hard after him, that we're confident that we're on a mission with the Lord. He wants to invite us into his plan and into his purposes. He wants us to understand that this is a season of fresh commissioning, a fresh enlistment, but it's not going to be based in simply our duty. He's wanting our heart because the church in Laodicea says, I know your works, stellar works, good works, but I have one thing against you is that you've lost your first love. And that's what God is angling for with all of us in this season. Is, I mean, he wants our hearts, not just our hands. He wants us to step back in to renew love. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he might strongly support the man, can I say, and the woman whose heart is completely devoted to him. Devotion over duty. So my call as I, as I began to wrap my message here is simply, will we realist <laughs> not to serve but to love? This is not necessarily a call to get involved in service at the church or sign up for some activity. Those things come later. But if we're not doing it out of love and for Jesus, then don't do it. Don't do it. We don't want a religious. I mean, this is where I'm at in this season of my life. I don't want to serve the Lord out of a sense of duty, uh, have-tos. I grew up with the have-tos when I was young. You shoulds. I'm not putting any should on you guys today. I'm inviting you into devotion in a fresh new way, a fresh heart for Jesus. And it's a daily sacrifice, Roman tells us, giving ourselves to Jesus, looking unto him. Hebrews chapter 12 says, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Here's my conclusion. It's interesting that this very same Peter some 30 years later, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Listen to this man, this apostle, <laughs> who signed up and said, yes, I'm in, I'm in. I will follow you, Lord. 30 years later, writing from Rome, he says, the end of all things is near. Let me pause here. The end of all things is near is that, that Nero, that wicked, perverse leader was coming into power and he was starting to put the screws on the church he was beginning to arrest the believers in an attempt to stamp them out so persecution was starting nero was beginning to capture the christians and use them as as torches to light the courtyard of his palace the end of all things is near peter is saying it's close and he says this he says what i want from you church this is what i need you to know Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you think maybe as Peter was writing that, he was remembering that day in the courtyard where he denied the Lord? Yeah, love covers a, mul cover a multitude of my sins, Peter is thinking. Then he says this. He leans in. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves... He should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. But notice here, use whatever gift you receive to serve, faithfully administering God's grace, speaking the very words of God, using the strength that God provides so that everything God may be praised. Jesus, 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 all through this passage. The apostle Peter, 
invites us into this place of putting Jesus and his glory on great display, a mission motivated by love. We're going to come to the Lord's table today. Simple message I have for you is that I, I believe that God wants us, he wants our hearts. He wants us to step up and step out of a season where there's been a lot of discouragement. And no matter what your history has been, no matter what the season has been like, and no matter whether you feel a bit like Peter and you really hope they don't cast a bronze statue of, of a moment of the last two years of your life, there's an invitation from Jesus. He says, just do you love me? Because all I want, all I need is your love and the invitation to invade your world. But it's interesting that Jesus' last words to Peter in that passage, he says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and go wherever you wanted to go. You could do whatever you want. You reserve the right to make your own decisions. But Peter, the invitation I'm giving to you right now is when you're old, other people will, will lead you by the hand where you don't want to go, and you'll stretch out your arms. Speaking of the kind of death he was going to die as a martyr, here's the point. We have a choice. We can stay in this place of, of duty. We can step into devotion. But let me give you a hint. It will cost you everything. It will cost you having to give up your opinions. Discipleship is costly. But it's so worth it. It is so worth it. He is so worth it. He's beautiful. He's majestic. And as we come to the Lord's table in just a minute, the reminder is that we have this example of the one who was willing to go all in, withholding nothing, because he loved us. Because he loved us. And the scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And the demonstration, perhaps the most visible demonstration of love, the love that God has for us is in this beautiful ceremony of the Lord's Supper. So today as you come and you take the elements, the the bread representing his body broken for you and the cup representing his lifeblood spilled out for you, doing it because he loved us. Can I ask that before you come, would you take just a moment and would you respond to the invitation today in your heart that Jesus is making? Would you follow me again in a fresh new way? Will you make it your heart's desire to lean into this place of intimacy with Jesus? And would you decide that going back fishing is probably not the right thing. <laughs> it just sounds frustrating, a lot of hard work. But the invitation is to come and follow Jesus afresh. As you take the communion and you participate, as it were, in the elements, taking the bread, taking the cup, may this be your dedication prayer. <laughs> Lord, I will follow. I will follow because you're more than worth it. Would you come to the table?